Good morning, my name is Susan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I'm just stunned by how many people I know here today. Thank you to my friends for coming and Sandra, nice to see you. And my dear friend, Barbara, who I only normally see now once a year at the birthday party as she lives in Santa Barbara. Um, so it's just amazing. It just goes to show that wherever you go, there you are. And also that my friend Mary and I have been friends for this whole 21 years. So if you're craving fellowship, this too can happen for you. Great events will come to pass just like it says in the book, and you will have these incredible friendships. And it, it just, I can't even express enough. I'm sure I'll start crying shortly, but we won't start right now this minute. Um, so to get the numbers out of the way, you can't see me, I'm freezing and I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Um, and I'm in Southern California. So those of you who are somewhere else, I won't use the word freezing and be that dramatic. Um, okay, so. My top weight was 250 pounds, size 26 dress. This is what was going on, okay? Not, not so glamorous. This was me at 30, faking that smile as I walked into a surprise birthday party. That was a nightmare. This was me and my dear friend, Jackie, who unfortunately has passed away now from breast cancer. And then I came in, I lost my weight, um, which is part of the journey. I did get a little too thin at one point. Mary will remember me when I looked like that. <laughs> and now this is how I look. Well, this was three years ago, but I show you this. My hair is longer and not as blonde. However, here's the magic. I could go and put this outfit on now. A girl like me who ate like Bill drank, that is not what happens left to her own devices. So there's me in my sister's house in England. Okay, so. Want to borrow a great outfit? There you have one. Okay, so I can remember starting to eat, sneak, cheat, and lie about food at the age of four. There was a lot of noise in my house. There was a lot of mental illness. There was a lot of screaming and shouting. So I chose food. Probably it's the only thing at four years old you can really get your hands on. My brother was two at the time, and I was asked who ate this. There are a few people unmuted, if you can mute yourselves. Thank you. I asked, I was asked who ate it and I said, not me. And then it began and it got worse. It didn't get better. This illness, this chronic illness that had me in its grips is permanent, progressive and fatal. I didn't start off at 250 pounds. I dieted my way there. My own power took me there. You know, it talks about in the doctor's opinion in the big book, it talks about that, you know, he met a competent businessman of good earning capacity, an alcoholic type, one who I'd come to regard as hopeless, hopeless meaning out of ideas. And from my first OA meeting to when I waved my white flag was 16 years. I'm competent. I know how to put myself together. I dressed when I was fat. I got out of bed. I made my bed. I had successful relationships, I would tell you. So, you know, I kidded myself. I kidded myself. So the hopeless type, that's who I was. Um, and I never knew that I used food for sense of ease and comfort. I didn't know that once I started eating certain foods, I was biologically compulsed and I couldn't stop. For me, I have an abstinence, which is what sobriety is to the alcoholic. There's no messy meals, there's no slips, there's no accidents. And I have a food plan, which is 
The two are totally separate, but it isn't my food plan that keeps me sober with it, life. It isn't even my abstinence. It's having let in a power greater than myself. All methods had failed me. We go through Bill's story, you know, he starts off at that tombstone in Winchester Cathedral. And I never understood what any of that meant. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. I'm not like him. I just haven't found the right diet. I haven't spent enough trillions of dollars. When getting your jaw wired shot doesn't work, doesn't work, you would think you would stop, but not me. Lots of vim and vigor going on here. Um, you know, and he says, Bill says, you know, these first nine pages when he's disintegrating, he says, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And my friend Harlan always says he doesn't say he was thirsty. And I didn't realize what I was craving. And every time I would go on a diet, which I did very successfully, I've got the ribbons, the medals, I've still got some of my books. I even did a photo shoot for Nutrisystem. None of it could help me stay stopped. It tells us with all the earnestness to be fearless and thorough from the, ready, from the very start. I couldn't, from day one of any of those diets, I was never honest. I was always messing around. It didn't matter how much money I had spent. So I moved here. I left home for many, many reasons. Um, and I do believe that that was the first time that God's, you know, launched his search and rescue to bring me here to find Overeaters Anonymous. Is there Overeaters Anonymous in Europe? Absolutely there is. I don't honestly know though that I would have found it. So he sent me to the Mecca of the 12 step land, which is Los Angeles, because all of you know somebody in a 12 step program in LA, even if you aren't in one, we're everywhere. And I love Zoom because it just shows that wherever we go, there we are and we can travel anywhere and you will meet one of us, which is exactly what it tells me in the big book as well, that I'll never be alone. So I did all of the things that Bill did in those first eight pages. You know, I had great jobs. I had incredible friends. My life here took off. I was able to get legal residency and my eating addiction blew up here. I grew up with supermarkets not being open on a Sunday. I didn't have anywhere to go and binge. I lived at home. So I had to be very, very sneaky. And as my family grew, it was great because it couldn't always be me, even though it was always me. And everybody always knew it was me, but we just moved on. So I moved here and I thought, okay, this will be it. All of those circumstances, all of those reasons that made me eat, those people who made me do it, they're gone. It's done. They're in a different time zone. They're nine hours away from me. Surely I've got this this time. But no, then I discovered drive-throughs. Nobody's watching me. Everything's two for one here and the portions are huge. The first time I went to a deli here, I was astounded. A sandwich is a doorstep, but it was okay. I ate it. I always tell the story when I moved here, the first night I got here, our family friends took me to TGI Fridays and I believe it's all over the country. And the menu was an encyclopedia. I didn't know what the frig was going on. And when I saw the things potato skins, I thought that's madness. Who just eats the skin of a potato? I didn't know what it was. And I'm not gonna talk about food, but that's just so funny. So I ordered a garden salad because I didn't really know what a lot of the other food was. And there were so many pages and I had jet lag. I was actually overwhelmed. 
where it didn't take me very long to adjust or to get to know that menu, the Cheesecake Factories ones, any of those voluminous menus got them all down, all down. So I came here, I started dieting, it got worse, it didn't get better, either later on that year or early in 1983, this is how long ago it was. Um, oh, and by the way, I've lost over 100 pounds. I don't say the exact weight because women compare and despair. I have tiny wrists, I have size seven feet, so you could be five, seven like me. And I came in here at 22 and there were no young people. They all look like me now at 59. And I thought, oh, I'm not doing any of this. And so I left. I came to that meeting. It was the 100 pounder meeting at the OA central office at the time on Reseda. Everybody was happy. They were laughing. It was fantastic. And I thought, not for me, not for me. So I chose liquor. One more time, I chose food. Okay. You know, it says, Fortune was thrown at Bill Wilson. He got all of these jobs. Everything kept on going well. And he talks about, you know, when after the stock market crash, tomorrow was another day. And yes, it was. There was Sunday one more time. I was not going to do this again on Monday. Monday morning comes around and the old fierce determination to win comes back. You know, with drinking, you can call it liquid courage, but with food, I don't really know what right now to think of anything clever. But then he talks about one more time, drink caught up with him again, permanent, progressive and fatal. So I kept on getting fatter and fatter. I was morbidly obese. I wasn't slightly plump, plump or just a little bit large. I was obese. People stopped me and asked me if I was pregnant. After the first time crying hysterically, I just said yes. And a dear family friend who I actually came to live with when I moved here, somehow that memo was memory was triggered for her a few weeks ago. And she said, ever since then, even if she knows you're pregnant, she will never ask you because she remembers how horrifying that moment was, not only for me, but for her. And these things I carry with me and I'm glad I haven't forgotten because it does tell me later on in the book that we are without defense. And I know that I can't keep the memory green. So I keep on telling my story. I show you my photos because I know that that would just be the tipping point. I tell you that my legs rub together until they bled, not because I'm terminally unique, but I know you know how that feels. I know you know the humiliation of having to get on the scale at the doctors and being told, wow, you haven't been here for six months and I know you've all stood there and sweated the way I have and thought, what is wrong with me? Why can't I stop? Why can't I stop? I would go on these diets. The people on the television doing it. There were fabulous articles in magazines. I had my vision boards. I had my girls on the fridge. I wanted desperately to be them. But when I stop and I don't have these 12 steps in my life, I have a God-sized hole that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that bitter morass of loneliness and self-pity that it talks about in the big book swallows me alive. So God would keep on coming around and reminding me, Susan, Susan, we're here. But no, Susan has to ask where she's sitting on the boat. Is it in first class? Is it in coach? What color is my life jacket? So I'll just wait for you to come back around again. You know, I tell my sponsees, the gates of insanity and hell are stunning looking. They are the best looking mansion in Beverly Hills. 
they open up for you, they just glide open, they see you coming and you start to go up that hill, not like the Beverly Hillbillies, you're in your Tesla or whatever, and then all of a sudden you start to go down the hill and those doors clang behind you. And those doors clanged on me many, many times and thank goodness my reverse gear didn't give out on me. God was always there for me. I was the one who wasn't available. So I never say, God willing, I'll be this, this, and this. God is always willing, am I? Are you willing to go to any length, step zero? Of course I was willing to be thin. Do you think I wanted to live in that discomfort, but I didn't know how to access that power? And that's what the theme of the book is, to tell us precisely how we have recovered, how I don't have to feel that way anymore and how I can access that power, which it talks about in We Agnostics. So I had many Ebbies come knocking at my door, many of them, but it was never for me. People who I worked with, other people who were in 12-step programs, and they would say to me, have you tried OA? And I would just go, oh, it hasn't worked for me. Again, trying to be totally unique. Now I'm one of many, and I love being a part of you. This is my third meeting this morning, not because I'm so fantastic, because believe me, I'm not because I went to support others. I went to spread the word of this fellowship, the fellowship that we all crave. It talks about on, one, on page 151, am I going to be assigned this glum life? And it says, no, because you're here with us. And it talks of the vast amount of fun that we have. We lose friends along the way to this disease. We don't talk about that. We lost two men in our local fellowship this year of morbid obesity, both in hospital, couldn't move, couldn't walk. One of them over 600 pounds. The other one with young children, I watched him starting to recover and be able to not use his walker to come to our Sunday morning meeting. And then we didn't see him and then I heard that he had died. I don't want that to be my story. And that's the ominous warning on that tombstone that I failed to heed, that I didn't understand, that I do today. And it's not just obese people who are dying here. It's bulimics, it's anorexics. We're all here and all are welcome. If you didn't look like me when you came and you've read the big book, we can all identify. So, you know, then in 19... God, the years go by, we're in so many centuries here, um, so many decades of my life. In 1998, standing in Heathrow Airport, coming home from my sister's wedding, no surprise, family trip, lots of wreckage, ate my way through it, ate half my sister's wedding cake. God sent a search and rescue for me in Heathrow Airport. There was an announcement. They said, the plane is overcrowded. Who wants to stay another day? We'll give you this, this, and this. And then I was earnest, then I was ready. I would have swam back here. Thank you. Perfect timing. So now we'll get to what happened. So I came back and one of our good family friends had moved to Florida and she had found OA there, more of 90 day rooms I'll call it, which is something that they do back there. And I wanted her sponsor, it had worked. I'd seen what she looked like. She lost all her weight. That's the only thing that's going to work. This disease centers in my mind. So my mind tells me a lot of stories. And I will tell you that I've given up every subscription there. I no longer have any lurking notions or strange mental twists. Like it talks about in the book, suddenly I crossed the threshold. 
I don't cross those thresholds anymore. And if I have any mental ideas about anything, there's 25 people here, I know half of you. Even if I called one of you who I didn't know, you would help me retrace my steps like Bob did down to the payphone to make that phone call and that's how we met Dr. Bob. So I know that one of you would do that for me and I would do the same for you. So I came in and still not 100% convinced I had to take a sponsor in Florida. Because don't you know, there was nobody available at the LA Intergroup. And she did everything to deter me and to make sure I was ready, even by telling me I would have to call her at 4.45 in the morning. I did it. And here's the part that I really hope you hear. I always stopped eating on a Monday because that's what they say to do. And this was on a Sunday night. And this angel said to me, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And I can tell you, my throat started to seize up. And my very curly hair started to get curlier. And I said, well, I, I was going to start in the morning. And she said to me, Susan, if you don't tell me what you're going to have for dinner tonight, you won't call me in the morning. And how right she was. She set me on the road to freedom. And that began the first night of neutrality with food. I ceased fighting it. I recoiled from it like a hot flame and I put it down. I committed my food and there was a sense of freedom that I had never experienced. Not at any of the places that I'd been to. Nowhere had it given me that. Property, prestige, romance, none of them gave me what that gave me that night. And I am still beyond my beyond any words I can express to you, the gratitude that I have for that night. I did exactly what she asked of me. It says in the book, we will tell you precisely how we have recovered. And as working these steps as the result, you will have a spiritual awakening. You will develop a relationship with God. You will have an emotional rearrangement. And I've done the steps many, many times. I'm not a sponsor who takes you through the steps for three years. There's a couple of my sponsees here who can attain to that, who we haven't been working for very long and we're on step three. I need to get through these because I need to develop that relationship. I don't have time to negotiate and think this is good, that is good, I don't wanna do this. This is the whole thing. I had a therapist years ago who worked with addicts and I'm sorry this is a food analogy, but it's a profound one. He said, Susan, you look for everybody to be the filling in your cake. He said, you have to arrive as the whole cake and they can be a little decoration. It was gonna be the man, the trip, the this, the that. I'm a total Disney princess. I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to get the guy. It didn't work that way. I still have a life beyond my wildest dreams, even though it doesn't look like a Disney princess one. This is my Disney princess story. And all the Disney princesses look different today, as we know. Um, and it says on page 55, you know, it takes a long time. I was going through this with one of my sponsees last night. And, you know, it talks about on page 45, lack of power. And everywhere in the big book, wherever there's a question, there's an answer. And here it takes 10 pages. They help me to find that power. 
they tell me there are many, many ways that we all look different. So, you know, pink, yellow, blue, whatever religion we are, we all find it. And then it gives you all the ways, but it says the main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. The drinking problem will be removed. My eating problem has been removed today. That buildup of human emotions what is what sent me to the food to look for that sense of ease and comfort. I don't have those foods in my life today. I don't run to the frothy emotional appeal. Not many places I can run to right now during COVID. But every time I got thin, it's how many guys can I date? What can I this? What can I that? How much money can I spend? I haven't had to go to other programs. All of these things for me, once I put the food down and worked the steps, have been lifted. Because every time I work the steps, they're about different things. And I'm in them every single day and with my sponsees who all work so, so hard and are so dedicated. And so then by the time we get to page 55, it answers and it says, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he capitalized was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found a great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It is so with us. And I know I'm going to draw to a close and I'm very, very passionate about recovery, about all of this. If you ever want to call me, if you're suffering, please, please do. And one of my favorite chapters is Keys of the Kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why I've named the birthday party that this year. But I also really feel that's what we've gotten to do this year. So if you haven't enlarged your spiritual life yet, Jim and Fred, they both had everything available to them. That was me on a diet. I was them. I failed to enlarge my spiritual life. Failed to enlarge it. And that's why these things, they just, they, the diets, they just don't work for me. I'm going to stop futzing in my book to try and find something. So I thank you so, so much for being here, for inviting me. I'm so humbled. I have grace in my life today. I have neutrality around food. I have the most incredible friends. I, this is my life as a whole. I don't have my program. I don't have work. I don't have my family. It's unity, like that circle of AA. I have no wreckage today. I don't go to bed at night angry and pissy. I get on with all of my family. I was able to assemble some kind of relationship together with my mom who was schizophrenic before she died. I was able to drop the resentments around my stepmother who I had, who was a hateful human, but I don't have to live in hate. I was able to do that because you showed me how to. You took my hand. And like it says in a way, I put my hand in yours. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, welcome home. So I truly thank you for my life and I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Susan for your pitch and for being of service. It is now time for question and answer period until 10.55. So the floor is open. <laughs> Rhiannon, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Susan, thank you times 10 billion. I, you, you absolutely told my story. 
I am so deeply moved by everything that you said, your willingness to be vulnerable and to really lay it out there with the lies and the deception and the shenanigans. Um, Cause I'm, I'm all about the shenanigans. I love me some shenanigans. Um, so my question to you is, um, I, I've re- I recently relapsed and my sponsor is amazing and, and really helped me through that. But my question is, how do you get past the shenanigans? What, is, what was that magical moment for you where the bullshit stopped? You know, uh, it, the reality really gripped you and you said, okay, this is it. I really had to be out of old ideas. It was 16 years, 16 years between my first meeting and coming in. And the pain was so great that you you are literally starting to look at your own tombstone. And OA just kept coming back around, kept coming back around and everybody was still smiling. It was God, it wasn't me. God spoke through you and I heard you. And then I just had to be done. Like I said, I had to give up all of the subscriptions immediately. It didn't matter there's six months left on this one, six months left in that one. And I did exactly what I was told. I didn't eat out for the first, I think it was 90 days. It was the first time I came and gave away my fifth step in Florida. I remember that I went out with my sponsor and they talk about hospitalization period in the big book. I did all of those things. I did exactly what I was told to do. I made the phone calls, made a phone call until I got somebody. I did everything precisely, but that is exactly what it says. We get the spiritual kit, toolkit laid at our feet and I had to pick it up. My friend Lewis always says, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a mechanic. I don't do this. I don't do that. But it is called a toolkit. Don't ask me to come and fix anything for you. or be useless. But I used all of those tools. The tools are the handrails while I build my relationship with God. I come to meetings to identify. I found recovery working with another. So I hope that helps. Yes, thank you so much. Susan, it's Sandra. I just, I, when I came and I saw you, I thought, oh, I just had a flood of so many good feelings. I don't really have a question except how do you stay so radiantly wonderful? But I already know you, you are um, one of the stars of this. For me, you're a star in my, you, um, un, my overeaters sky and I just uh, am so grateful that I had the experience um, with you at the birthday party and that you're still here spreading the love and the good news so um, thank you thank you thank you great to see you and the other people that I recognize from LA love so I see you too Sandra Thank you, Susan, so much for sharing. Oh, it's just such a joy to see you. I mean, it, ma- it makes my day and your loveliness and recovery is just so amazing. So um, my question is, I'm just a couple of years behind you. And so how has your program and your relationship with your higher power changed over the years? And how have you worked your steps? I mean, because I've done my steps, but I'm really curious to hear about your story with 
you know, your program of, of a couple decades. Thank you, Barbara. Before you came on, I was telling them how I came up there about 15 years ago and spoke at your meeting and a lady hand painted me a beautiful rock that I still have. It was lovely. Um, so, you know, I work all of the steps, but I'm living in 10, 11 and 12. So continued, sought, restored to sanity, all of these words. So, you know, when I first came in, I was 10th step, everybody just does it at night. But when I really look in the book, it says that I immediately have to take care of any wreckage that I cause promptly. And it doesn't say if they crop up, it says when they do. Then it tells me to um, sort through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. I have a relationship with something outside of myself. So as with any relationship, and I happen to know that you're married, so I know that with your husband, you don't take things for granted or with your children or your grandchildren, you seek to have good relationships with them and they don't come for free. Sometimes we have to make apologies. Sometimes things come out of our mouths that, oh my goodness. And I've definitely found in the last couple of years, you know, I talk about my relationship with God, you know, it, it's grace, it's about grace and that willingness is given to me and then I create this relationship with grace and I even really see a difference through this year going through the pandemic that I've ceased fighting we can all have different opinions but you know what we've been asked to stay at home a lot right now I'm not going anywhere this weekend number one I don't have anywhere I need to go I have zoom I have all of you and it's just another layer, you know, uncover, discover, discard. Like Chuck C says, we get that new pair of glasses. And sometimes we have to change our prescription and things get clearer. And as Sandra said about, you know, lights, you know, we're all each other's lanterns, but I just continue to develop the relationship without even knowing sometimes that I'm doing it. And like it says, it just comes. Thank you, Barbara. Hi, my name's Carol. I missed your share pretty much. And I was just wondering if you are on the website, you know, speaking. Um, if not, that's okay. I don't know what you mean by that on the website. I've recorded some podcasts through the LA Intergroup, if that's what you mean. Um, I don't know if you mean something else, but I know I have recordings on the LA Intergroup podcasts. And uh, this one's being recorded too. There you go. Thank you. My name is Stephanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater bulimic. And Susan, thank you so much for your incredible share. It touched my heart deeply and um, makes me so grateful to be a part of this 12-step um, program. And I apologize for my muting you um, accidentally. I'm, I'm new to this Zoom hostessing thing, so I got a little, you know, a little sticky finger there. So um, my question to you is, you know, um, this 10th step of continuing to take personal inventory and, and when we're wrong, we promptly admitted it. Now, how, what does that look like for you living in step, you know, 10, 11, and 12? You know, they say it's the maintenance steps. So what does that look like for you today um, in this, at this point of your recovery? So, so very, you know, similar to Barbara's question. Um, you know, my 10th step, I used to just write it and keep it to myself for years. And then I've written it and I've sent it to sponsors. 
And I've also given it away to somebody else during the day. It's called a 10 step partner. And when I do that, I will normally call somebody who knows me pretty well so I can get through all my rubbish of trying to manipulate you into believing I'm not wrong. And they will bring me to God. They'll ask me, where's my fear? Look at your pride. Look at, you know, what was threatened in the columns, just like we do in the fourth step. Um, and one of the biggest things is being of service to others. And that's also a key theme throughout the book. I can't keep this if I don't give it away. I work with a lot of women in this program. I give a lot of service. Um, I'm just went back on the LA board. I haven't done that for a while. I've been on the San Fernando Valley board. This is my fourth time of chairing the birthday party. I am in the center of the herd. We all have different personalities. Some of that stuff isn't hard for me. I come from a very large, loud family. Mary can tell you she knows them. And there's you, you have to be loud to be heard, otherwise you're going to be eaten alive. Um, but it's just, it is, it's such a pleasure to give back and to see people's faces just light up, even over Zoom, all these new friendships that I have of people who I've never met, who I know I'm going to meet, offering, calling to be of service. And this is the vast amount of fun that it talks about. And referring to that page that I talked about earlier, now that I have the time, you have to indulge me on page 51, where it says, you know, am I going to be boring and glum? What about that substitute? And it says, yes, there is a substitute and it's vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous and it jumps ahead and it says, your imagination will be fired. And I read that as selfishness and self-centeredness have left me. Now, don't think I don't ever look in the mirror and wonder about how I look. I can be the vainest of them all. It's not talking about that. I can't keep this. It's repeated in here time and time again. And it says on 153, the age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves this. Our hope is that when this ship of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestions. So again, right from the preface, they've told me they will outline this. So, you know, 10, 11 and 12, I know they call them the maintenance steps. I used to run out the door at maintenance. So for me, I don't use those words. I'm, you know, the, the we, I have a very good friend, Jen, who isn't here today. And she always says, turn that W upside down and it's all about me. And I never looked at it that way. So now I'm we here with you, a society, a fellowship, a group of incredible people. And together we can do what we can never do alone. So I hope that helps. Susan, it's Matt. It's okay, I just love to thank you for your share and your friendship. And in thinking about our primary purpose, I wanted to ask, has there been a time in this journey of recovery that's led to this moment that you feel like was a, was a, a key inflection point, a pivot point that was really hard? And if it was, what was it? And how did you navigate that to wind up where you are? Thank you, Matt. And thank you for being here. Um, 
You know, there was actually, and it was a moment of complacency. I had a sponsor for 10 years. Some of you know her, Maxine R. She was one of the first ladies here in OA and circumstances changed in her life and she was no longer able to sponsor me. And I did stand at a turning point because I looked around the rooms and like, Maxine's been here since this started. Who am I going to pick? Nobody can give me what she's given me and maybe she's given me enough. Kept on coming to meetings and I would say I was probably sponsorless for about three weeks, but three weeks for us is a huge amount of time, huge. Thank goodness I didn't put down my daily practices. And again, God sought me out, sent another search and rescue. And at our Saturday night meeting that's recorded, I asked a woman in there to sponsor me and got right back on because that spiritual axiom, I could start to feel I was getting wobbly. So complacency can come. And I see it when I don't see people for a long time or I invite them to do something like, yeah, I don't do that very much anymore. And that just reminds me. So that was the only time in between. And, and that was a little bit of pride and ego. Like I've had Maxine, who am I going to ask? And she would have hated if she knew I was behaving that way um, because she's so not that way. Um, so that was the only time, you know, you can think I've done this, I've done all the books, we did the Tebow papers, the this, the that, I went and helped her with all of her workshops, look at me. And again, God spoke through you and helped me get right sized one more time, because it's very easy for this to start growing again. But again, the gates of insanity and hell, they let me reverse out. So thank you, Matt. Hey, I have one more, Barbara again, I have one more question about service. Okay, since a lot of us are at, we consider ourselves addicts, how can we have balance in service? Because I tend to like have either too many sponsees or uh, too much service, or then I'll go to the other extreme, I go, I can't do it. So how do you balance all of this? Thank you, Barbara, great question, because I am very A-type personality, so I can balance a lot of plates. However, it tells us that we make a hobby out of this and not a career. So my life looks very different to Barbara's. I'm single, I'm here, I work with my sponsees, I don't have people to worry about. It's me, myself and I. So I may have more time than Barbara does have. There are no rules on how much time we have to give, but we have to give something. And as always with everything, I go to my sponsor for things. Even before I ran on the board, I said, Deborah, I'm thinking of going on the board again. And I thought for sure she was gonna say, well, that she went fantastic idea. So clearly she heard that my life was sorted right now and in a good place to do so. I, all of my sponsees are at different points. So some of them I'm speaking to a lot more than others. So it, it does just balance out. It's always about running things by another person, even if it isn't your sponsor. And none of us are here to be superheroes. We're just here to be lanterns on each other's path. Do what you can, when you can. A life of sane and happy usefulness is what's promised. So even if it's offering to be Zoom patrol on a meeting, even if it's offering to give somebody a lift to a meeting, which now you can't do. Being of service has many different levels. So 
Let's always run it by somebody else when this starts to have a chat. Thank you, Barbara. Hi, I'm Amy, compulsive overeater. Uh, I think I can be heard. Um, and so, okay, Susan, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Um, I wrote down just two pieces of sentences that you said. One is uh, that power greater than yourself. And you said, enlarge your spiritual life. If someone were to come to you and say, Susan, how do I enlarge my spiritual life? Because I know that that is, I mean, the key in, to, to recovery. What would you say? What would you cite, quote, recommend, et cetera? I would probably first of all ask them if they have a sponsor and where they are in the steps. <laughs> because oftentimes certain questions come and I can tell from my own experience of having tried to do it for 16 years that I was self-sponsoring. So it says that I'll be restored to sanity. It doesn't promise me that Susan, you're going to get thin and you've got it all sorted because I already know that being thin wasn't my problem. I know that lack of power was. So depending on if they're brand new or where they are, it's, you know, we meet people where they are. And if you aren't in the steps and you don't have a sponsor, that's going to be my first recommendation to you. If you've stopped going to meetings, if you aren't doing any work, you know, how are you seeking God? I'll ask somebody, how's your prayer and meditation? Well, I don't have time for that. So all I can say to somebody is, I can't fight them and say, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. All I can say is, from my experience, this is what helped me. And if you read Appendix 2, again, the word change is in there so many times. And it really is, you know, about an emotional rearrangement, a personality change. It says in the doctor's opinion, I can have an entire psychic change if I'm willing to take these steps. You know, it's, it says that we have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. It talks about sudden revolutionary changes. So this is one of the places where I always go. And it says that we've undergone a profound alteration in our reactions to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. I had to be turned towards the sunlight of the spirit. I couldn't turn myself. I was like a spinning top. Remember those, some of you all know, those toys when you're younger, I'm sure you had them in America, right? And you kind of pumped up the top and it spins around. That was me, spinning, spinning, spinning. And I always ended back up on my bum. And I'd still be spinning if I wasn't grounded in these 12 steps. So again, self-sponsoring doesn't work. That would be my biggest message. I just have to see my pictures and know that I relapsed many, many times in between those photos. I just showed you some of the special ones. I could show you the years of I look like this one year, then it was the next year, then it, you know, at holiday Christmas parties at work. Astonishing. Because I wasn't shy to have my photo taken for some reason. So thank you for your question, Amy. 
I just want to say very quickly, if you are feeling hopeless today, this is 100% available for you. Nobody here is terminally unique and got this because they're more special than the next person. Everybody can have this. And I, I know from my own experience of all the people, Linda, who's here today, has over 40 years. I know Sandra's been here for a long, long time as well. This is possible and it's easy to sustain. We can all have this. It is 10.57 and it is now time to close the meeting. Thank you to our speaker and to those who gave service. We welcome back anyone who wishes to attend, no matter where they are in the recovery process. I am going to read the promises because I have it handy and it's easier. So the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. And after a moment of silent meditation, would you please join me in the serenity prayer? God. God. Grant, grant me the serenity, serenity to accept, accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I will, I will not, not mind be done. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Keep doing that. Thank you, Susan. That was awesome. Thank you, Susan. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Amazing. Yeah.